0: Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, friends and colleagues. Dr. Casey Grover here again on the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast to welcome you back to another episode. And I am so excited for this episode. It has been on my to-do list for quite a while. Today we'll be talking with one of the substance use navigators at my hospital about his work. So with that, Austin, welcome to the pod. Let's start with you just sharing who you are and how you got to being a substance use navigator.
1: Yeah, hey everyone, Uh, I'm Austin. Um, I work in the emergency department at our hospital as a substance use navigator. And I have zero healthcare uh, background or knowledge or workforce. Uh, So if you look at my resume, it's kind of surprised that I work here. But what I do have is an extensive knowledge of addiction and lived experience. So um, I'm originally from Ohio, but through addiction, I've wandered out here to california and this is where my recovery home and my network and my support is and uh this is now where my work is and the work is very great we have a lot of work to do but uh you know when you love what you do it's not really work right so well said so let's start
0: with the first question so when people ask you what what you do for a living how do you explain your role as a substance use navigator to people?
1: Yeah. First I'll tell them substance use navigator and they'll never get the name right. They'll be <laughs> so confused on what I just said. Uh, I have had to break it all the way down lately as to a emergency drug and alcohol counselor. I like that. Uh, that rings a bell a lot yeah. faster. Um, even, even the nurses call me the substance abuse guy. Um, But when people ask what I do, uh, I tell them that when people come to the emergency department, they're usually at the worst spot that they've ever been in, or they're in an emergency, they're not coming because they feel great. Or maybe, hey, I'm kind of thinking about recovery, they've hit a spot where uh, they're almost at the end of the ropes. So uh, I tell people that I intervene through a referral of the doctor. And I just, I just talk with them and just see what's going on. Every patient, every situation, every drug and substance is different and it reacts to different people, different ways. Um, So my job is just through quick motivational interviewing and building a relationship with them is to see if they want help and if they do, what is the right help for them?
0: Very nice. You know, and just just to kind of better understand your your work as a substance use navigator, um, walk us through a case of yours recently uh, in the emergency department, obviously not sharing any specific patient details, but more just the case in general. When did you get involved? How did you get involved? What were you able to do? What was the outcome? Just kind of put us in your footsteps on a case in the emergency department.
1: Yeah, we just had a, a really good victory this week, and I'm, I'm really proud um, about it. I just, uh, so we also have a, an EMS bup team. Uh, so the patient actually uh, was found by them and they came to the emergency department afterwards. I got a referral. I went and checked on the patient um, and then about five or six months of trying to get the patient help phone calls, talking with mom, Uh, just kind of going through it, um, you just build these relationships with people, you check on them daily, they come in the hospital three to four times, and it's always when you're not working. Um, You talk to them, they get new phone numbers, you got to track them down. And then one day, they just say, I'm done, I'm ready, what do I need to do? And uh, I think it was Tuesday, um, the patient came in, I'm sorry, it was Monday, the patient came in and said that they were ready for help and they got into a treatment program and i just remember i walked in the room and the patient was just crying just bawling and as soon as i walked in it just like she immediately just got better because she knew she was in good hands because we've been working for this for so long so um yeah it was a really great a great win for everybody so
0: very nice. Yeah, I, I'm thinking in my own mind of patients that you and I have worked on together where they finally have that moment of I'm ready. Yeah. So uh, I didn't put this in my pre-prepared questions, but I just want to kind of bounce this off of you. So I think it's probably interesting for us to unpack what I think you do and then to you t- for you to tell me what you think you do. Okay. And I would assume, um, you know, my colleagues in the emergency department um you know, most of them as physicians don't really have a lot of substance use experience. I mean, some of them treat you as though you are a consult. You're the expert. So what I think of is I go in and I say, okay, what's medically the issue? What's the diagnosis? What's the medical treatment? And I look to you for engagement, support, and being that kind of that connection that if the patient's not ready today, they've got your card or they, they get a call or a text. And when they're ready, you kind of put the wheels in motion to get them where they need to be. That's how I see what you do. How does that compare to how you see what you do?
1: Yeah, that's really good. Uh, so what it is, is it's it's a relationship building. It's It's building that trust. First and foremost, these patients want to know that they're not going to get stigma, they're not going to get turned down. They want to know that you care and that you understand where they've been. I pull my lived experience card out almost all the time because as soon as I do, their guard goes completely down. Um, it even helps that I was in the same hospital with the same emergency, emergency department with the same issue, uh, and I can even tell them what room I was in when I was going through it, and um you know, I never know what I'm walking into, and I would say about 80% of our work happens post emergency department. So I know that they're not going to get the quick fix that they need right away. Uh, if they if they do get admitted, that's a different channel. But when they come to me, um, I just want to first let them know, like, hey, we we're here to help you. We're here to support you. Uh, here are a list of resources. But tell me what's going on. Tell me what family. Uh, is involved with this, how can we help them? And then uh, just depending on what level of care they need uh, and going through the different resources, we talk about what the options are. Of course, insurance is always a big issue uh, and not right away will they leave the emergency department and get into a program. And that's where the work really begins is calling and following up and making sure we're getting the notes in. Um, If they're making multiple visits, Uh, We're acting like it's their first time in and we're just giving them the same love and support as they would each time and uh, without trying to enable them too much. But uh, the work is the post visit is calling and checking up and seeing what we can do and how we can help and calling the programs, the um, sometimes the insurance uh, and just setting up their appointments, calling them 15 minutes before their appointment saying, hey, you have an appointment in 15 minutes, are you gonna be ready? And uh, it's really just hand-holding is probably a good way, but it's what they need because they're, I mean, when you're strung out on drugs, you're not thinking clearly. So if you have somebody advocating for you or as it's called navigating for you, navigating the way, uh, it makes it a lot easier for them. And it takes a lot off of their shoulders, but then it takes a lot off the doctor's shoulders That way the doctor can focus on the medical, the nurse can focus on the medical, but we can focus on the behaviors and the resources. So let let me follow that with what is the most challenging
0: thing that you do or the hardest part of your role as a substance use navigator?
1: I think the hardest part for me is the county insurance uh, patients. A lot of the time, if you have private insurance, you can get into a program within three days. And it's, it's very easy. Our county patients are waiting sometimes two to three weeks until they can get help. And two to three weeks being strung out, especially on fentanyl, is a higher risk of mortality. Um, and it's really hard to get those patients in when they want the help. Usually they'll come in wanting to get into a treatment facility that day. But then you have to tell them, nope. We have to wait for an assessment. And then you have to do the assessment. Then we have to wait on a bed. And the, by the time three to four weeks comes, they have a new phone number. They've, they're have they in a different area of town. And it just gets so frustrating because they come in, they know who to talk to, they know what they want, they're ready, but we can't give them what they need. And I think the other part for me uh, is watching people um, struggle with the detox of fentanyl without if I could just house them for three days and just watch them and just give them what they need and help them to get off of it, it would make life so much easier. But you have to send them home and hope for the best and go from there,
0: <laughs> yeah. Just for some context, um, so yeah, that, um, you know, to the listeners, it's just we're talking about uh, Medicaid, and in California, that's Medi-Cal, and in California, we have a specific kind of system. I guess it's kind of a non-functioning system, where patients who have Medi-Cal have to go through a particular pathway and get a specific assessment done. They have to meet certain criteria. It it it's a whole thing. And, and to your point, I mean, I had one patient go from ER to residential. With you know a private insurance. So um, on the flip side, though, I do have to give kudos to our local medical, and that they have waived any referral authorization for any patient with opiate addiction getting follow up. So um, I've actually been really grateful that you know for our, our opiate patients, they can go ER and see me next day without having to get a referral. So or we're trying. It's it's still it's yeah it's still can be a pain. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you find that you make the most progress with patients or the best connections with patients when other healthcare providers cannot?
1: Yeah, that's, that's hands down. I believe that's why I was hired is the lived experience. Uh, It works time and time again, because I've been there. I've been through it. I tell a lot of these people, I was probably worse and worse off and in a worse situation and just being able to relate to them and talk them through uh, goes so far because you're not just talking to them uh, like a medical person. You're not talking to them like uh, a a counselor. You're talking to them like a peer, like a friend. And a lot of the times that's what they don't have at the moment. And that's that's what they need is they need just peer support. And if we don't even get anything accomplished during that session, as long as they feel like somebody cares about them when they leave and they have a new friend who they know can help them out, I just feel like that really goes a long ways. And I'll get a lot of the times I'll get call back. uh, It could be weeks or months later because they'll have my card or their family will have my card and they'll call and just let me know what's going on because immediately they just think, Oh, he, Austin can help me with this because he knows what's up. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely a great advantage that I have, even though I wouldn't recommend going down that route, but, uh, it definitely, um, it serves its purpose now. So
0: I heard a great, um, uh, kind of a great, and I don't want to say sound bite, but maybe a great perspective about substance use and getting into recovery. And it was when a a nurse um, who is a substance use nurse was talking to a patient who was very kind of down about her past and feeling very ashamed. And she was going into treatment for the first time. And I love this line and I actually used it with one of my patients yesterday. Everything in your life up until now has gotten you ready for today. And when we were doing our run walk for recovery this spring, you know, one at uh, one of the events, we had a person in recovery speak, and I remember as a medical student, you know, we were asked to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and the whole, you know, hi, I'm Bob, I'm an alcoholic, I thought that was a confession, and it was really cool to hear this woman speak and say, you know, hi, I'm, and I don't remember her name off the top of my head, hi, I'm Jane, I'm an addict, and I say that with pride. And she talked about the person that she emerged as after her addiction is so much stronger than who she knew she could have been. So, you know, to your point, I mean, I feel like yes, the lived experience, I don't I not want to know how dark things got for you, but it's awesome to see how it 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 affects your work in a really positive way.
1: Yep, yep, sure does.
0: So um kind of a a not so uh, not so fun topic to talk about how do you deal with healthcare providers who have negative attitudes about substance use or even openly kind of enact stigma against patients with substance use obviously puts you in kind of a, a, a kind of a, an uncomfortable position talk me through how you how you work through those cases
1: yeah and it i can see why they might get frustrated because you have the same people coming back with the same issue and i can even find myself i can get frustrated and i could walk into the room and just be like oh great you're back again like here we go and the the patient wants nothing to do with help uh, they want bus passes taxi vouchers food um and uh sorry uh, they want all of these things Um, besides the resources and he just get frustrated so i i get now working here for almost a year, I understand where that stigma comes and where they might be frustrated. Um, but I had a nurse tell me the other day um, because he kind of knew my story. And he's like, man, if you can change, that person pro- can probably change. And if I just act like I do with you to them, every time they come in here, maybe one day we'll, they'll change. Maybe one day I'll work with them. And I just said, that's exactly right. Like, and again, going back to the lived experience, um, I just use that. Some of the docs uh, didn't know, but now they do know um, kind of where I was and where I am now. And I think just having that honest conversation, but being open to where they're coming from. A lot of the times um, providers have family members who've burned them, who've uh, broken that trust who really hurt them through addiction so they see addiction through a different lens Um, and then I also know a lot of a lot of it since it's a lot of it is behavior it's we don't really understand it why people act like that so when we don't understand things we seem to be a little bit more judgmental until we can really understand and I think that Schwartz round that we did where we could have gone six hours just talking and talking and talking. And that's what people need. They need to hear it because everyone has a family member, almost everyone has a family member that suffers from addiction now. And I'm sure they would just love to vent and get it out, but they can't. So I think for me and the providers, just having that patience with them and helping them see through it and kind of, again, navigating them through what it looks like on their end to help somebody. Um, so yeah, it can get difficult, but it's worth it. Yeah, I, I find sometimes
0: that, you know, I'm, I'm in the emergency department, we're crazy busy, somebody comes in, and I start to feel myself kind of judge. And I have to remind myself, I'm board certified in addiction medicine and care enormously about these people. <laughs> I, I have yeah. to really kind of check myself. I'm like, Oh, why are you here? We have like eight code strokes. What's going on? I, I gotta take a deep breath and be like, okay, the other thing I think it's also interesting is just when people are in crisis, it's so much harder in my practice in the office man it's it's great. you know, people are doing well. the ER is this really artificial weird environment and just the emotions, the stakes are so high. so um, I certainly appreciate the, the, the calm that you bring when I ask you to see a patient.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I know I just caught myself today, uh, cause I see patients that I come back and I'm like, Hey, it's, it's so good to see you. And I can just tell, tell they're like, really, I'm, I'm back in the ED again. I'm like, yeah. we well, you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, uh, so, so pivoting to a little bit more of kind of a clinical question. So, you know, one thing that's, I think we don't get really any education on as healthcare providers is what happens at a mutual support meeting. Like, how is Narcotics Anonymous different from Alcoholics Anonymous? Are the meetings an hour? Are they two hours? Who runs them? So, You know, one of the things that I think for me is a little bit of a black box um, is kind of our local milieu of meetings. Like some of the meetings have personalities. I mean, I know I tell my patients, go to a meeting. If you don't like it, don't give up. Try a different meeting. Find one that feels good for you. So once you've gotten to know a patient, how do you try to match that patient with a particular program or a mutual support group meeting to really kind of get them what, what you think is going to be successful?
1: Yeah, our the Monterey County, especially Monterey recovery groups, we have our giant large culture, then we have our subcultures all within each other. Uh, we can cross each other's paths, but we seem to all have different cliques of who we are and what we believe in our support groups and what keeps us sober, Um uh, I know for like the Alcoholics Anonymous, they usually just like alcoholics, even though somebody with drug use can attend and vice versa. But there is a little bit, it seems like a divide sometimes. And I know this when I was going through AA and NA, I remember when I was in AA, I would think like, well, at least I'm not doing drugs. And then I started doing drugs and I went to NA. I'm like, man, I'm not going back to AA. Like those guys are not for me anymore. And if you just and then they have, you know, heroin anonymous, and they have all these other specific groups for one thing. And I tried them all. And I just realized any meeting really works because you're not there to talk about the specific substance. You're there to listen to the stories of other people. And a lot of that helps you depending on what stage of recovery you're in. And it allows you to ask for help. But a lot of the times you just had a crappy day and you just need to vent and you don't need to hear anything back. You just need to let it out and be as raw and emotional as possible. So I'll I'll kind of gauge somebody just based on their, their background. Uh, that's why asking about family, asking about work, uh, asking about how they grew up, like really digging into the personality to see what they'll fit for um, and really asking about if they're having cross substance use um so a lot of the aa people uh, or alcohol uh use disorder people will really do well in alcoholics anonymous um because it's just kind of the same crew uh we have a really good narcotics anonymous group as well in monterey and we have a really awesome Support group, especially with some of the programs that have those groups. Uh, I know a lot of people who've gone through that program and have graduated and are doing well. So, and luckily, I'll know a few people in each group I can always kind of just refer to. And then you'll start to want to just ask a little bit about their spiritual lives. So, each group is based on a spiritual concept that there's something greater than you that is in control. And you have to give up that control. um, And you have to be okay with not being in control. So part of getting sober with AA, NA, and faith-based programs, which are pretty much the three that are here in Monterey, um, you have to be willing to let go of the wheel and let your higher power take over. Or if it's, you know, if it's a Christian faith-based program, it's Jesus. And uh, you just start to ask questions about them. And depending on where they're at, what level of care they need you can start to direct what program that they, they should go to um, and sometimes because of the 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 bridge restoration program that i went to and i'll just see that they need a solid 13 months of programming i'll just throw throw it out there just say hey you might not be about this but do you want to try a program that i did and it was very successful and uh Lately, I've been getting people that have needed the longer programs They're like, well, I don't believe in all of that, but I'm going to go. Um, so it just it really depends on the person, the drug, uh, alcohol and kind of where they're at, what stage of the game they're in. So.
0: And I think the the comprehensive response you just gave is a testament to the work that you do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You get to know people.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, When you get a referral and you go in and clearly this person is not ready for treatment, how do you approach that sort of scenario?
1: Yeah, that happened today, actually. It Uh, happens a lot. (laughs) It happens a lot. Arms crossed. When when am I going to get out of here? Um, You know, especially if if they're just not wanting to be there. What I'll do is I'll just throw all of the resources aside. I won't even... As soon as I walk in the room and I can feel the temperature that this person is not wanting to program, I will just put down everything I brought in and just say, hey, what's up? How are you? Like, who are you? And I'll just talk to them like a normal person. Like, I don't even work there. Like, I was just some guy that stopped by the room and wanted to chat. And then at the end, I'll say, hey, I've got a list of resources. You know, doesn't look like you're ready right now. Here's my card. Uh, is it okay that I just give you a call next week just to check in and see how you're doing? Um, again, I'm not trying to force you to do anything, but just want to make sure you're okay. And if you do need anything, uh, you can let me know. Um, but just having that honest conversation with them, like, hey, how are you today? You know what what's going on? How can I help make your stay better? You need water or crackers? <laughs> How how often do you find
0: that just kind of being there and present and nice makes people open up?
1: A lot. It 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 helps a lot. I've actually um I've even had to change my attire. I don't know if you remember, but when I first started, I wanted to be the GQ of substance use navigators and look all sharp. So I was wearing like a suit and the white coat. Oh yeah, I remember. And, and I could just feel <laughs> When I was talking to people, they're like, "You don't, you don't understand," and so then I just went into straight scrubs and uh, my Crocs, and now I just kind of slide in there. And sometimes I think the nurses are like, "Hey, are you sure you work here?" And I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> but um, it happens a lot where I just need to to put all guards down and just just have a chat with them, and again, make them feel like somebody's listening and cares about them.
0: That is well said. People feeling heard makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, I know you mentioned kind of one case that was a win for you recently, but just, you know, I I feel like for me, when I'm in in the clinic, you, you know, you see these transformations. It's just, it just nourishes your soul of just, wow, people helping people, making a difference, getting people back to their loved ones. Tell me about a win that you've had as a substance use navigator that really reminds you why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, I think there's a there's a kid up in a program right now that uh, just reminded me of just myself. And I think a lot of times that when I get somebody who was on like the same drug regimen, the same lifestyle, uh, maybe like 10 years younger than me, like that was me when I was 25 and I can just see myself, I can... Even when they're about to say something, I just kind of know because some reason they're just very similar to me. Uh, when that person was down and out, and now they're just doing so well, and I get all of these reports back that they're just crushing it. They want to join the military, um, and life is good again. They got their family back. I, you know, I I hold on to that. And I actually contact him and want to hear about that person when I need it. Like I, I'll, I'll send the director a message and just ask about it. And then they'll give me like a good report and it just fills my tank up more. And it just reminds myself that out of the, the 20 people that I see, one will probably get help, but that one person will then turn around and help others. And so gradually through the next couple of generations, if we can just focus on just pouring into that one person, the person will turn around and do the same. And then we'll keep this, this addiction, you know, we'll keep fighting. So. Well said. Yeah.
0: So on a personal note, I know you and I both love to exercise and <laughs> disclosure to the audience. We're going to do a Spartan race. You and I later this year, I yep. super stoked to, uh, throw spears and pick up all sorts of heavy stuff in the mud with you but yeah. uh talk to me about how exercise fits into recovery both for you and for your patients
1: yeah and i just want to let the viewers know when i had brought up the spartan race again uh dr grover said well i don't think you're gonna be able to keep up but <laughs> 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 which i absolutely love um so these races are so fun oh love spartan they're uh they're and, and we just did one, uh, the 16 of us ran as a recovery uh, group in a couple weeks ago, and there are just so many things that a Spartan race shows you in recovery, the obstacles, running with people, uh, thinking you want to give up, but you don't give up, tumbling down the hill and picking yourself back up. If you run a Spartan race and you're in recovery, you'll see a visual demonstration of like the race that you're about to run in recovery, but you finish, you know, one day you'll finish that race and you'll get a medal and, um, you'll be excited that you stayed sober, but it's not going to be easy. Um, so I'll go back. I've, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. Um, I was kind of a wannabe bodybuilder back in the day. I loved lifting weights. Um, I got into steroids. I took a bunch of supplements. I thought I was all that And, uh, you know, I just, I, I found that that became a new addiction and I actually had to stop lifting like I did, um, about three years ago. And I got into CrossFit and I started out CrossFit just the worst. Absolutely. Just, I thought I was the man. I thought I could do it. And then all these, they're doing muscle ups and they're doing, they're throwing 225 over their head and screaming and, uh. I've realized that my CrossFit community in so many ways is my like little recovery community too, because all of that energy that I used to put into going and scoring and just wasting all of that time and money trying to get a fix all I do is put an hour into my workout regimen and those endorphins that fire fire off last all day. And that's a natural high. Your body produces chemicals that gives you a natural high and a feeling of accomplishment and uh, physical fitness for me has been just an absolutely key part of my recovery. And I'd like to get other people involved with kind of what I'm doing because it builds that sense of community Um, And it allows me to just let off all of that steam in a healthy way. It's really my coping. It's one of my coping skills. Mine too. Yeah. And I just, I love it. Like I love CrossFit and because I'm not good at it, you know, it humbles me and I'll never get to a point where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm crushing this workout right now. I'm usually on the floor huffing and puffing and just wishing I wasn't there, but that's yeah,
0: funny. I I finished my shift in the emergency department today and I was all kind of tired I'm stressed. You know, you and I had that last patient, we were trying to get admitted together. And uh, you know, I called my family and I was kind of in a gruff mood. And I said, tell you what, I'm going to go exercise and I'm going to call you back. I'm going to be a new person. I mean, even just like a 15 minute walk outside just recharges me. Yep. So absolutely. I mean, I, and one of my patients asked me, cause you know, she's got a lot of trauma from, you know, her work and her career. And the ER is not a pleasant place sometimes. I mean, I still have memories when I took care of a woman who hung herself and, you know, she asked me, she's like, Dr. Grover, how do you cope? And I said, I gotta be honest. I promised myself I would never be too busy to exercise. I got to get at least an hour every day. I will get up an extra hour early, you know, bleary eyed post swing shift in the ER. I make time to exercise. It just, it keeps me whole.
1: Yep. I absolutely agree. I think it's a good encouragement for people to to get into exercise and health because, you know, your body's been out of it for so long. It's good to start building your body back up.
0: Yeah. well, tell you what you talked about your patients crushing it. I got to be honest, Austin, you've been crushing this. You nailed all my questions before we wrap up anything else that you wanted to share about your work as a substance use navigator in our emergency department.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think just being honest and real and raw about the job. Um, you know, thank goodness my wife is in recovery. We have the same spiritual belief and background, and you know, if it wasn't for what we believe in and her and our relationship, you know, this this job can be tough. Um, you know, I've had some buddies come in here. I've had a buddy pass away here. I had to watch him get CPR, not make it. And um, there's a lot of losses. There's a lot of L's in the work too, but It just, it makes me think how much more of a need there are for substance use navigators, for drug and alcohol counselors, and just how much work can be done and what a great field and opportunity it is for people to get into and give back and a sense of belonging and accomplishment. And, you know, I just want to say to anybody who's listening to this, um, if you need help, And you feel shamed or you feel like you have nothing to give or your life is over or this is just the way that life is for me or it's going to be, you know, those are all just lies, negative self-talk that we tell ourselves that is part of addiction. And that doesn't have to be the case anymore. Um, It doesn't matter how far or deep down you are in a hole, you can always get out of it. There's always a way out. So... If if you have a family member or a friend who's struggling, or if you're the one who's struggling, reach out, call somebody, get some help. There's so many different services now in America because it's an epidemic, and people want to help you and they want to be there for you. Or if you're in the healthcare industry and you're listening to this, um, this is a big deal. People in recovery, people with addiction, usually have another side of their personality where they can really make stuff happen and do great things in life. They just need the chance to be sober. Um, So that, that, that one chance that that person gets and they run with it, I guarantee they'll change different, different people's worlds. So um, I just want to encourage people. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. There's always, as long as you're alive, there's a way out. And I I just want to encourage you to take it, reach out, call somebody. um, And, you know, we, we just want to help you. So.
0: I, I, am just listening to you. I'm thinking, I, I thought you crushed it. You just crushed it even more. Well played my friend. All right. Well, Austin, this has been awesome. So great to talk to you. I actually, I mean, I worked with you in the emergency department today. I appreciate you as a friend and colleague enormously. So thank you so much for sharing your, your time, your experience and your expertise.
1: Yeah. Thanks Dr. Grover. I appreciate it.
0: You bet. All right. That is a wrap on this episode. Everyone listening, thank you so much for listening and thank you for what you do. And don't forget treating substance use disorders saves lives.